book of Acts chapter 12, verses 18 to 25. Again, that's Acts chapter 12, verses 18 to 25. And it reads, Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the kings of of Chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oracle to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them... John, whose other name was Mark. Amen. We've been going through the book of Acts. And as we have studied the book of Acts, I think one thing that has become clear to us over and over again is that the early disciples understood themselves to be in battle. They understood that the Christian life is a warfare on so many fronts. It was a war for their lives. It was a war for truth. It was a war for the gospel. It was a war for the witness and testimony of Jesus Christ. But there's an important truth that they also understood, beloved, and that is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. And that is that the weapons of our warfare are not according to the flesh. Or as the King James would say, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And while our enemy may use fleshly weapons like threats and intimidation and imprisonment and torture and even death as we have seen, the disciples of Christ knew that their weapons were not in their pockets. Their weapons were not on their shoulders, but their weapons was in their heart. Their weapons were on their knees. Their weapons, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, were mighty in God. Mighty in God. That is important for us to understand that our God is mighty. That he is a mighty God. That all things, all things, all things, Sister Mary, are in his hands. All things. All things. There is no limit to his sovereignty. There is no limit to his power. You and I are in his hands. The weather and the elements, famine and natural and man-made disasters are all in his hands. 
and so too, beloved, are kings and rulers and nations. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 20, the Bible says, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Psalm 75 and verse 7 says, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. Beloved, if there is a king or ruler in this world, ultimately it is God who has ordained that he would be there. And that being the case, then it will be God who ultimately brings him or her down, who brings that ruler to nothing. For God is the judge. He is the one who has all power. In him, therefore, we find our most potent weapon. Our God is mighty. To the pulling down of strongholds, rulers, wicked men and women in high places, subject to the power. God. The the early disciples understood this. They realized this. And that's why while while the nations trusted in horses and the nations trusted in chariots, they trusted in the Lord their God. They trusted in his name. They trusted in his power. They trusted in the sovereign will of God, even in the face, as we have seen, in the face of deadly persecution. They trusted in the God of their salvation. But however, beloved, I don't want us to misunderstand and to think that it was easy. It wasn't easy for them. Any more than it's easy for you and I. It wasn't easy for them. Just as we often struggle with trusting God in the midst of ungodly national and even local leadership, so too did the early disciples. And beloved, there were few who were as ungodly as Herod Agrippa I. Ungodly. As we saw last week, didn't we? We saw last week that he was determined to destroy the church. We saw that he was determined to destroy the witness of Christ. And what was his strategy? His strategy was to go straight to the head. And so his strategy was to cut off the head of the church, the apostles. He murdered James. He tried to murder Peter. But through the faithful prayers of the saints, remember, God rescued Peter from the murderous hands of Herod. And now in our text, now our God is going to deal with Herod. And in doing so, beloved, this morning, I want us to see and understand two important truths that this text teaches us. One, it teaches us about the treachery of sin. And two, it teaches us about the glory of God. The treachery of sin. 
It has been said that power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. And while this is not necessarily universally true, history of this world has shown us again and again that most men and women don't fare well when they are given absolute power. And Herod was a prime example. There were not many who were more morally corrupt than Herod was. Like his, fa- like his grandfather, who was the Grinch who tried to steal Christmas, and his uncle, who was the conspirator of Calvary, Herod Agrippa I, was, like them, an evil king. He was really, beloved, an exercise in human depravity. He really was. You know what the Bible says about the sinfulness of human beings? Just how sinful human beings are and and how depraved the human heart is. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, the Bible says, without qualification, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of acts is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. But this is a description of the human heart apart from God. But this here is, ultimate, is, is really an example of the heart that was in Herod. No fear of God before his eyes. His his feet were swift to shed blood. In his paths were ruin and misery. You see in Herod the treachery of sin. And his treachery was malice. His treachery was malice. You know what malice is? Malice is the intention and desire to do evil. It is wishing ill will upon others. It is animus. When the soldiers, beloved, found out that Peter was gone, The Bible says that there was no little disturbance among the soldiers. What that means is that there was this great commotion amongst these soldiers and guards because they knew that Herod would be looking for someone to blame because his heart was full of malice. 
ever intent on doing evil, ever intent on bringing ill will. And no doubt, no doubt these soldiers had seen the treachery of Herod before. And when he shows up, no doubt they can see the intentions in his eyes. And they can see that he has bad intentions. They can actually hear the animus in his voice because there is malice in his heart. He had, and, and, and Herod had every intention on fulfilling the desires of his heart. Every intention on fulfilling the desires of his heart, beloved. You know, that's what malice does. You know, malice is a heart condition that ultimately manifests itself in our words and our actions. This is why the Bible tells Christians over and over again in Colossians chapter 3 and and verse 8 and Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31 to put away malice. We are not to be malicious people. We are not to wish ill of anyone. Why? Because if there is malice in our hearts, beloved Given the opportunity, we will do what is in our hearts. And you know what? Malice always leads to murder. Always. It always does. And so Herod's treachery was not just malice. You see that his treachery was murder. Because malice always leads to murder. This is why the Bible tells us to put it away. Because it's going somewhere, beloved. And given the opportunity, when Herod could not find Peter, or he did not receive satisfactory answers for where Peter was, the Bible says he took out his malice upon the soldiers. His thirst for blood was not satisfied in Peter. And therefore, he would shed the blood of the guards. Because murder is the fruit of malice. That's why we must put it away. Because, beloved, murder is the work of the enemy. Satan is a murderer. And wherever you see murder, you see the works of darkness. You see the works of the enemy. You see the manifestation of the works of Satan. Whether it's Jews in the, in the gas chambers of Nazi Germany. Whether it's the 
Thousands and ten thousands of African lives lost during the middle of passage of the Atlantic slave trade, or whether it's on our streets and our urban centers, or whether it is at the abortion mills where countless of thousands of babies are murdered every day. Whatever you see and wherever you see murder taking place, it is human beings worshiping the God of this world. And it begins in hearts that grow malice. And yet, Jesus tells us that this murder is not just the shedding of blood, but in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21 and 22, he says this murder is a hateful thought and angry words. This is why you put away malice, beloved, because you may not take up a knife and stab somebody in the gut, but you will speak angry words. You will have angry thoughts. And Jesus says, that's murder. And what's the root of it? It's malice. It's malice. That's why as Christians, beloved, we are commanded to do away with such things. Why? Because too much malice and too much murder eventually leads to madness. Madness. Herod's treachery was malice. Herod's treachery was murder. Herod's treachery was madness. Madness. After he killed the soldiers, he left Judea and went to Caesarea. And while there, he grew angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Why? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us why, but isn't that just like angry people? They don't need a reason. They just get angry. Why? Because there's malice in their heart. Their words are full of murder, and it leads to madness. You don't know why they do what they do. They just do it. It's mad. But it's rooted, beloved. And hearts that are given over to maliciousness manifests itself. The thoughts that we think and the words that we say and attitudes that we have. The people of Tyre and Sidon, they understand that, beloved. They know who Herod is, and they don't want Herod mad at them. They don't want Herod mad at them. One reason is because they need his food. But even more than that, they don't want anything to do with his malicious and murderous ways. Because he's a mad man. He should call Saddam Hussein the, the bully of Baghdad. For here you have the bully of Judea. He bullied the people of Tyre and Sidon. And living around Herod and in his vicinity must have been like Charlton Heston in the Planet of the Apes. 
When he's living amongst these apes and he yells out, it's a madhouse. Can you imagine living in the presence of this man? Beloved, the world has seen wicked leaders over and over and over again. And that is because when sin is unchecked, when sin is unrestrained, when sin is allowed to have free reign, it leads to madness. We've seen it. Don't just look at Herod. You can look at Hitler and, and Stalin and, and Pol Pot and Idi Amin and Saddam Hussein. But, beloved, don't just look at them, but accept for the grace of God, you would see it in yourself as well. If God wasn't gracious and restraining sin in your life, if he wasn't gracious and putting sin in check, madness would reign. Some instances it still does, but, but madness would reign. Because of the grace that by which we have been saved. This is what we have been saved from, beloved. This is what we have been saved from. You don't understand that you have been saved from the madness of sin. You have been saved from being liars and murderers and abusers of ourselves and others and neglectors of women and children, sexually immoral and violently perverse. That's not just Herod, beloved. That's you and me. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Like who? Like the rest of mankind. Like everybody else. And the only difference between Herod and me is Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, but God. But God. But God made me alive in Christ. But God. But God gave me grace through faith in Christ so that I might be saved. But God gave me a heart and a love for Christ and no longer a heart and a love for the world. But God. Only difference between me and Herod is but God. And beloved, that is the glory of God. Not mine, not yours, because apart from God, your end is Herod's end. And it's not to my glory, but it's God's glory. Because that's what the treachery of sin does. You do know that. It brings about the glory of God. 
always does, beloved, in the end, it ultimately will. God will not share his glory, especially with rebellious sinners. Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 8 reminds us of, of that. And God doesn't take kindly to thieves, especially those who steal from him. And on this particular day, recorded in the Bible, Herod decided that he was going to steal from God. He got a little big for his britches. Bible says on a particular day, Herod decided to put on his royal robe and to sit upon his throne. Now, what day was that? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us, but Josephus, the, the Jewish historian, recorded also this incident and the death of Herod. And he said it was a day on which Herod had, through this great celebration on behalf of the Roman emperor Claudius, and all the people in the kingdom were gathered around for these magnificent games that Herod had put on in honor of the emperor Claudius. And during the celebration in Claudius's honor, the Bible says that, and Josephus says too, that Herod decided to give a speech. And whether the speech was really worthy or not, I mean, nobody's going to tell Herod he gave a bad speech. So whether the speech was worthy of anything or not, the people shouted the voice of God and not a man. And Herod, hearing that, began to smell himself. Hmm. Thought much of himself. Thought himself invincible. After all, he had killed James. He had put Peter on the run. He had executed the guards who let Peter get away. He had intimidated all the people of Tyre and Sidon. And now all these people are thinking he's a god. For Herod, life was good. He was all-powerful. He was feared by everyone. But Herod made two grievous errors, beloved. The first one was that he persecuted God's people. And the second one is that he took for himself God's praise. Oh, not only is God with us, beloved, when we say, Awesome is the revelation. God is among us here. When the Bible says that the promise of God to his people is that I will be with you, it is not simply to hold your hand as you walk through the valleys of the shadow of death. Yes, he does hold your hand, but more than that, he is there to fight your battles. He is there as a warrior God. That's why when Herod decides that he's going to persecute God's people, when he decides that he's going to take upon himself God's praise, all I can think of is the song, Shine, Jesus, Shine. 
shine, Jesus, shine. Because Herod is big, but there is one who is yet bigger still. And the bigger that human beings get in themselves and in this world is just a reminder of just how big our God is. Shine, Jesus, shine. And the Bible says in verse 23, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down. Because he did not give glory to God and was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Isaiah 42 and verse 8, the Lord says, I am the Lord. This is my name. My glory I will not give to another. It's not going to happen. Isaiah 48 and verse 11, for my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be proclaimed? My glory I will not give to another. God struck down King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. And here he struck down King Herod. Struck him dead in the midst of the people. Now imagine with me, just imagine with me the buzz that went through the Christian community when they heard that God had taken Herod down. Just, just, just when you thought that Herod was invincible, just when you thought that you were going to have to live your whole life under the wicked rule of this wicked man, shine, Jesus, shine. Do you imagine the buzz that went through the community? Just when you thought that, that darkness was going to take over, here comes the light of God in all of his glory. Just when you thought there was only going to be winter all the time, here comes the glory of God. Shine, Jesus, shine. That's why Christians, beloved, are never pessimistic. We have no reason to be pessimistic because no matter how long the day, no matter how dark the night, eventually the story is shine, Jesus, shine. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the buzz that was going throughout the Christian community? Herod is dead. Herod is dead. It's like the Wizard of Oz. Ding dong, the witch is dead. Witch, oh witch, the wicked witch. Ding dong, the wicked witch is dead. Hi ho, the Dario. <laughs> Not so fast, beloved. No? That might be what we do. That's not what the church does. The church doesn't gloat. The church doesn't throw block parties. In Psalm, I mean in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 17, the Bible says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. 
Let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. In other words, beloved, we don't gloat. We don't gloat because we understand that the judgment of God is a fearful thing. And to see the fall of Herod should cause Christians to get on their knees. It's a fearful thing. And the God who is gracious and gives life on one day will bring judgment and death on the next. That's the God we serve. That's the God we serve. He is a jealous God. He is a righteous God. He is the God that Deuteronomy says in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 39 has the power of life and death. He is the God who brings life alive and he is the God who brings down to the grave. Same God. Notice, it teaches that in this passage. If you just go back a little Well, to last week's passage. Notice in verse 22, it says, And an angel of the Lord struck him. These are the same words used when speaking of Peter in chapter 12 and verse 4, where it says that he struck Peter. Now, I don't know if it's the same angel. But isn't it ironic that to one, the touch was a touch of deliverance, but to the other, it was a touch of death. That's why Christians don't gloat. Because you understand that the very same God who touches you to bring you life is the same God who touches to bring death. Same God. Same God. This is why Christians don't gloat, beloved. We don't gloat at the death of the wicked, even our enemies. Why? Because God's judgment is not just against their sin, but it is against ours as well. You know what Psalm Psalm 133 says? If the Lord should mark iniquities, oh Lord, Who would stand? If God decided that he was going to judge Herod, and not only judge Herod, but he's going to judge all the sinners in the congregation, who's going to stand? Who's going to gloat then? What causes me to differ? That's the question. What causes me to differ? Why am I not like Herod, condemned for my sins? Why am I not like Herod, touched by that angel and roll over and bend over in pain? Why am I not condemned? What causes me to differ? Or better yet, beloved, who? Who causes me to differ. Shine, Jesus, shine. Jesus, 
Jesus is the one who causes me to differ. Why? Because Jesus took my judgment. He who knew no sin, the Bible says in passage, home fellowship group at the Carters, 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse, nope, 21, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become, or better yet, so that we might not receive the punishment that was due us for our sin. That's what causes me to differ. Not that I am better than Herod, but because I have Jesus. Shine, Jesus, shine. Shine. Get glorified. Get magnified. Because that is the glory of God. In the death of the wicked, yes, beloved, but more importantly than the death of the wicked, God's glory is in the death of my sin. God put my sin to death. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, have been nailed to the cross, and I bear them no more. It is well. It is well with my soul. That's why I don't gloat. Because it is not my glory. It is God's glory. It's the glory of God. And what happens when God's glory shines, or better yet, when it glows, the word of God grows. 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 Notice, notice the contrast here in verse 24. Herod dies, but the word of God increases. Herod decreases, and the word of God increases. What the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8, all flesh like grass, including Herod, he's flesh. All flesh is like grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And the word of God does not just stand, beloved, but it increases. It increases, it grows, it multiplies. Why? Because, beloved, as Luke chapter 8 and verse 11 tells us, the word of God is a seed. It is a seed. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, the Bible says that that seed, that is the word of God, is an imperishable and incorruptible seed. And when it is planted, beloved, it grows. When the word of God is planted in a heart, that word of God will surely increase. 
This is why, this is why we must be all the more diligent in making sure that we are placing the Word of God in our hearts, that we are putting ourselves in places where the Word of God is proclaimed, that we are listening to the Word of God, that the Word of God is getting in our minds and getting in our hearts. Why? Because it is there that the Word of God grows, increases. Word of God is planted in the heart, it will increase. When the Word of God is planted in the world, it will increase. As God said it would. As Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth shall not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God sent his word into the world to redeem his people. And guess what? His people will be redeemed. God sent his word into the world to do what? To grow his church. And guess what? His church will increase. God isn't selling wolf tickets. His word grows. It grows in times of peace. It grows in times of war. It grows. People's, people change. Seasons change. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. The one thing that you can be assured of is the consistency of the word of God. It doesn't change. Every day, it remains the same. What it said to Peter, James, and John, it says to you. And if God will tarry, what it will say to my grandkids and my great-grandkids is the same word that it says to me. And it will ever increase. Because it's not stagnant. It grows. It grows. And as his word grows, so too does his church. And as his word grows, so too do his people. And as his word grows, so too does his glory. That is the glory of God. The salvation and the deliverance of his people the building and establishing of his church, the tearing down of strongholds, the manifestation of his glory in all things. Beloved, the treachery of sin, the sin in others and sin in me, ultimately brings about the glory of God. Here's the question. Would it bring about glory in your life now? Or will your payment for it later bring him glory? One way or another, all sin is going to glorify God. 
What about yours? Would it glorify him today? Because you repent of it and turn from it and believe in Jesus Christ. That's the glory God desires for you today. That he would be magnified in your life because you turned from sin, trusted in Christ, and glorified him. Let's pray.